This episode of Hit the Lights is brought to you in partnership with Sparks. Sparks is the only magazine for UK electrical students and apprentices and also helps support the next generation through annual competitions such as Sparks Learner of the Year and new for 2023 Sparks Female Skills Competition. Check out Sparks' Instagram at Sparks Magazine UK to learn more and for a one-stop page for all news, memes and more from the electrical industry. Welcome to another edition of Hit the Lights podcast. I've got a very special guest with me today, all the way from Mumbai. I've got Chris Theobald. How are you doing? Doing well, Gary. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Um, how's things over in India? Things are interesting as as always. Yeah, keeping busy. Keeping busy and um, going to be travelling to the UK soon uh, at the end of the month. So. Oh, okay. Looking forward to that then. Yeah, no, I have my 2396, the, the written exam, so uh, just doing that, and a solar PV and battery storage course as well. Oh, okay, so you, you're coming across to the UK to get your training? Yeah, I do come pretty often. I was there uh, in September as well, and then in May before. So. Okay, what, what's some of the reasoning that you're coming to um, the UK then to uh, learn British standards? So it's quite interesting you ask, because uh, BS7671 is harmonized so they're saying now it's 60364 right and which is pretty much i think the universal standard at least the base for when it comes to a 400 230 volt system so um the indian standard is also 60364 harmonized it's a different story that people aren't aware of the standard here so you can't really get training so the next best is to get training with the british standard right and we, because India is a, was a British colony, we speak English, so English is my first language, so it's very convenient for me. Mm, okay, that's, that's, that's fascinating that obviously that's the case. Um, do you find then there is zero availability then for training on Indian standards? or The way it works is that you have to go through something called an ITI, which is an industrial training institute, and they teach you to work with your hands essentially. So like, how do you, you know, run wire and conduit and stuff like that. And they teach you some, what I call controversial things as well, just how do you twist wires together to splice them? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how good regulation, how good they, how well they teach regulations and what the coverage on that is, but it's, let's just say that the average electrician here has no idea about standards or anything like that. There's just a way of working and a rule of thumb. And yeah, so there are some specialists now providing training when it comes to the Indian standard. We have two of them. One is called IS732, which is what we call the code of practice for electrical installations. And we have another thing, one called uh, SP7, which is our national electric code. Great big overlap, both are 60364 harmonized. And but the training available is pretty expensive if you want to do 60364 stuff. And then they don't really teach you inspection and testing and stuff like that. So I suppose we'll jump straight into the then. Um what what was your journey into the electrical industry before I start probing much deeper? 
I was supposed to go to, to college to be an interior designer. I found a university in Milan, um, and they had an option for me to do two years in Mumbai here, and then a final year in Milan. I could also do one year here and two years in London. I went, checked out the campus, everything. And then it's quite interesting because I, I finished high school and then COVID struck India pretty bad. So I remember my A-levels, I, I finished my A-levels in uh, Feb, uh, March, uh, the first week of March. And by the end of March, everything was shut here and it got really bad. And in January that year, 2020, my uh, dad had a property here uh, it was an office that was given on rent and the tenant decided to leave so we had to refurbish the place and i had a look at the electrics and i was like this doesn't look very safe you know when you see that uh, distribution board that is uh, held in place by the conductors that are branching <laughs> up of it you know you know what i'm talking about yeah so it's that sort of thing so i had this guy that i worked who'd done, um, who'd rewired the house that I lived in with my parents and that stuff. So he called him and I started asking him a couple of questions and he couldn't tell me the difference between an RCD and an MCB. So, and I was pretty confused because one is two modules wide and one is one module wide and they seem to be doing different things and they're rated in different things. Because one's rated in milliamps, obviously there's the amperage as well, but whatever that's the that's the maximum amount of current it's rated for mm. and the mcbs obviously have the b c's and d's and all of that and the kilo ampere which is the breaking capacity so i started watching a couple of john ward videos stuck in lockdown okay and then i also watched a bit of gsh because i was because i um it's quite expensive to get electrical work done here not not when you compare it to to getting it done in the uk but by Indian standards, it's quite expensive. So I was like, I wonder if I can do the non-electrical stuff myself, like chasing a wall and stuff like that. So there's a video that Gary Hairs has done on how to chase a wall. So I watched that and I said, hey, this guy's got more stuff. So I watched a whole bunch of John Ward, a whole bunch of Gary Hairs, and kind of went from there. And so college started, I started doing interior design in August, 2020 and by Feb, I said, this is not for me. This, I was very technical, so I really enjoyed the CAD part of it. But then when it came to style and stuff like that, I said, this isn't really for me. <laughs> Sorry, well, maybe we're digressing. This, this is the story of how it went into electrical. Yeah, no, yeah, that's exactly what we want to hear, yeah. And so then I said, I know I definitely don't want to do this, but I don't know what I'm going to do. So I knew electrics interested me. And in September of that year, I bought an MFT. It's actually this the Fluke 1664. OK, yeah. And I said, I'm just going to, you know, have a go with things. And it's, I know it's an unconventional way to do things because it's an expensive purchase and I was, wasn't really doing that. I said, let's try it out. So then I left college and then I said, OK, you know what? The first thing is I'm going to start preparing for an 18th edition. Because prior to this, I'd been kind of shadowing my the electrician here, and I'd learned how to do things like pull cable through conduit, um, chase walls, uh, do similar stuff like that, install a socket and wire stuff up. It was a very rough sort of 
tutoring from him and as, as i watched more john ward and eventually a lot of the other guys i realized that i don't know a lot about this so it it's so i know how to do it but i don't know why we're doing what we're doing mm. and the electrician i worked with couldn't give me those answers so then i looked at the brown book well it was the blue book at the time yeah and then i said okay i'm going to give the 18th edition exam so i studied through that and in 2021 in june i gave that exam i passed it i had a lot of fun studying for it so it was good fun mm. and then i said then i found out the design course exists and the 2391 exists so i said okay let's do the 2391 So I built a test rig and I got practicing with the inspection and testing but it was a little hard because when you set the faults yourself how are you supposed to fault find right mm. So I I kind of messed on the the apartment I was in I because my parents own it I rewired the place with the electrician and found a couple of faults the usual RCT tripping stuff like that and just took it on from there uh this year in may i went came over to the uk did the inspection and testing course and um i passed that so then i was back in and then i've been doing design on electrical om for a while yeah so did the house i was in i did this office that i'm in now i did um i've done uh, another big office uh, designed for that it was about 8000 square feet and the thing is in india we have three phase everywhere so it's good exposure for me as well mm, even domestically yeah we do because in the uk you guys have 16 or 25 mil tails right coming in 16 would be a 63 amp and 8 and uh, 25 would be 80 amps right Roughly, so yeah. the way it works here is at least in the city of mumbai what they do is they'd give you like this office has a three phase four wire supply but it's in four mil okay so yeah <laughs> i didn't expect you to say four mil then but yeah fair enough so yeah you're, you're capped at about 25 amps a phase yeah so you get 100 amps but yeah. spread out over the the three the three phases but the interesting thing is it's it's still fine here but if you go out this is a fairly developed city and it's been so for a while If you go out to newer cities you actually have 22 kilowatt uh, lines coming into your house really so it it'll be outside so i i was in another city i had gone to see a client they wanted me to do an eicr for them and he had a 22 kilowatt transformer at his property and that's pretty interesting yeah and no, i was going to say if you i suppose if you've got a fairly substantial property um you know you're going to want some hefty supplies but i suppose HV is that because it's all there is available in the vicinity and the LV um because I, I would assume owning like a, a you know a transformer whether it's in a compound or the property he he might want to distribute to other locals um in the area it was nothing like that this is a proper urban place you know where the houses next right next to each other oh okay even even in that sort of vicinity right yeah and this one was still, it was relatively high i think so um his It was I think his peak demand was about 100 amps per phase so it's not that much. Well that's quite a lot of it's domestic. It, it was a mansion. He had like a pool and a jacuzzi, steam room, everything. It was pretty four stories with an elevator and everything. Oh okay, now that that's a hotel. <laughs> uh yeah, but the thing is we have air conditioning here and it's quite hot, right? So 
in the day it goes up to 35 so air conditioning is a major load so the apartment i live in with my parents it's a we draw around 40 amps during peak which is peak uh, supply mm. all all three phases so Oh, no, yeah, no, okay, yeah, fair enough. I hadn't really considered um, air conditioning from where I am. I'm uh, I'm pretty cold most of the time, so. Anyway, so we're digressing here, but to get to your question, I just kind of, it was curiosity, and then it was the fact that I didn't like what I was doing, and so then I started doing this. And I worked with electricians here, so I had that practical experience. Yeah. Have you found anyone who's, obviously, you kind of mentioned that, the electrician you're working with isn't necessarily technically there are you find have you managed to find anyone to mentor you to guide you what the maybe the appropriate steps are so locally in india unfortunately no there is a there are a couple people doing training with regards to 60364 but they're very expensive and they're usually done for like multinationals and corporates they charge like i don't know 500 pounds a day the equivalent of that right okay and that, that and, and that's very theoretical they don't teach you how to fault find and inspe- do inspection and testing and stuff like that i wouldn't say i found a mentor but i i'm constantly reaching out to people for advice so uh, i've been in touch with gary Hare from gsh for quite a while i also uh, in touch with the e5 and sparky ninja people so there's a network where I can reach out for support, but there's no one direct mentor that I have. And it's funny you say that because when I applied for my I uh, well I'm just I finished an IT membership, so I was technical me- technician member. But now when I want to apply for engineering technician, they want someone to go over my application, ideally who's like sort of a mentor, right? A supporter. Yes, a supporter. Yeah. I called up the IET and said, look, I'm self-employed. Nobody does exactly what I do, so I'm not sure how to tackle this. So whatever, they gave a bit of a solution. But I haven't exactly had a mentor. It's just I've I've had to do it myself. My parents uh, don't do anything similar to this. So I guess my mentor was that electrician that I work with because he taught me the very, I wouldn't say basics because it was pretty flawed, but you know how to do some very rudimentary stuff yeah the fundamentals and stuff so you, you've obviously kind of mentioned that uh, that's developed into a bit of design and, and bits and pieces that you're doing so tell me a little bit about that what, what are you uh, working on at the moment then so right now i've taken a break from that just to focus on the 2396 because mm-hmm. it's quite expensive for me to fly to the uk and come back and if i don't clear the exam that's another expense (laughs) so it makes more economical sense for me to kind of pause on that front and just focus on the exam first right okay um but in terms of the work you've been you've been doing you've been providing designs to to customers have you i have but it's very limited because i'm just trying to test the market if you know what i mean Mm. because the issue is you have a lot so i'll get into a little bit of background for this is I interned with an interior designer and architect a while ago. And what I realized was that people have a lot of money to spend and they spend it on things like carpets, marble, chandeliers, sometimes automation and stuff like that. They they spend money on stuff they can see, right? And they can kind of show and tell to their friends, et cetera. But they don't spend on electrics and it's a very easy way for contractors to kind of 
take advantage of people because you don't know what they're putting in and a client who's not technically savvy has no real idea but what i realized was there was a bit of a gap there and so i'm like how can i i like doing i'm the, i'm technical i like doing electric work but being an electrician doesn't pay well it pays about 8 pounds a day the equivalent of that right so how can i kind of do something so i said well i can be a consultant i can design an electric system and then i can implement it well i can't implement it myself i can oversee implementation mm. by someone who i think is competent and then i can inspect and test it that's kind of where it started from so what i do is i design the system i give them a quote a bill of materials and it's quite a process to actually get the material here so i'd say 50% of my time goes in design and the remaining 50% goes in actually getting material because i'll give you an example is now with the 18th edition uh, the amendment to the 18th edition just basically you can't do type ac rcds and rcbos right mm-hmm. but type ac is the most common type of rcbo here it's so bad that people don't know what a type a is so then i have to get that and the lead time for those are 16 weeks because they're made in austria or the czech republic or something like that and they're they're flown in here and they have to go through customs and all of that mm. and then there's the other issue which is that they have to also be stamped with an indian standard because that's re- legally required to, for them to be set, to sell here and because it's a it's a very niche requirement the company will vet you and see if you actually know what you're doing before they seriously consider quoting to you so like in the uk you can go to a cef or like any other wholesaler and pick up an rcbo right yeah. well i can't do that here i have to contact eaton or siemens or legrand or and they will then sell it to me through a dealer hmm I mean that that sounds like there's a gap just in wholesale that you could probably fill. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's that there's a big gap. And then when it we don't really have whole we do have wholesalers but the most common way people buy electric uh, goods for electric work is they buy it from a second level distributor. So if I'm a manufacturer I sell to a wholesaler and a wholesaler sells to a to a distributor and that guy is basically a shop on the street where you go in and say give me a light bulb give me 10 meters of 2.5 square mil cable so it's it's stuff like that there's definitely a gap if i want to buy vagos for instance i can't just go somewhere and buy them i have to go to an industrial supplier that sells these to make that sells vagos and their market is usually stuff like developing metro trains and stuff like that and then they happen to be a vago stockist so then they place an order for me and then they they get me the vago connectors so i mean 16 weeks sort of lead time on on materials and stuff like that does it really hamper a project's completion it does in it, well it's it's there's two ways of looking at it. it one way is the people that have money to actually spend on good electrics they usually import a lot of other stuff like marble from italy lights from somewhere else etc so they have a they have a time span for that as well but then what but so that's it's possible to work in that kind of environment but where it becomes difficult is where if someone 
has a as an issue with their house that i let's say i go i have there's a tripping rcd right and what you realize is the rcd is saturated so you want rcbos and you want type a's so now the issue is that there's no way i can get that in a time span to solve their problem mm. so that kind of project is something i'm have to walk away from because it happens all the time right yeah. some calls you in and says hey i've got a tripping rcd or hey my there's a there's sparking somewhere or something like that and then you hit them with you have to wait 16 weeks for stuff to fly in from austria or whatever and mm. i mean so, sounds, it sounds very frustrating it is it is very frustrating in that sense but it's also kind of fun because then um you're offering something that other people don't offer it's like when you go you I've been to a couple of people's homes, a client's homes, where what's happened is they've had a tripping RCD because it's saturated, and then they just replace it with an isolator, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, then there's the issue that people are getting electrocuted and stuff like that. So I'm I'm able to go in and say, hey, this is actually a problem that can be solved because, and and people go like, wow, I didn't know that. So there's a bit of that wow factor which I find quite fascinating. So it's it is challenging but I think that's part of the fun for me. I mean in terms of the obviously the cradle to grave of of the project then you you've obviously mentioned a few times that you do certification is there any kind of bodies do you have a certain type of format of document because obviously like in the UK you know we have um competent person schemes and things like that that will uh, enable you to submit and complete certification is there any sort of processes or protocols like that for yourself or are you really you're just kind of uh, issuing to client and that that's the end of it for you so for me that's what it is i'm issuing to client it's purely informational but it does have more value but legally speaking if you want a proper certificate a licensed electrical contractor has to sign off on it but the truth is they're not capable of doing the tests themselves they 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 don't even have an mft they have some sort of insulation resistance tester that was last calibrated 20 years ago because it was a requirement for them to be registered as a licensed electrical contractor so it's sort of supplementary if you know what i mean mm. there's no there's no there's no one really kind of overseeing the process to ensure standards are maintained or anything like that there is but the issue is because of the sheer population in this country and the number of installations it's impossible for them to actually go through and everything the law says that you're supposed to have it inspected and tested and the format is a 60364 format it's all, it's very similar to the 7671 format but the truth is because of the sheer population and the number of electrical installations it's impossible to verify for everybody now that that's understandable I mean what some of the challenges you've kind of been finding in doing your designs in a in a in I suppose a, a different country initially but then I suppose it's maybe even issues like temperature like you say it's a lot hotter you know and things like that are there any other challenges that you kind of have to overcome on a regular basis um so supply of equipment is one of the biggest challenges that we have the other thing is competing with other companies so what happens is when i give a quote for a job it's usually two to three times the cost of another person's 
simply because what they would do is they would put only MCBs, no RCDs. There would be no selectivity between the breakers. Um, they would not perform a calculation to coordinate the protected device load and a cable. So there would be stuff like that. And then they would use really cheap labor. They would, uh, people on site wouldn't actually be electricians. They'd just be people who are paid for the day to just do physical work. So competition is really hard because of that. So, and then you have to come in and explain to a client that you're charging two to three times what the other guy is charging, but you're actually providing value. And to sort of explain that to a customer that's not technical is a bit is quite a challenge. And at the same time, you don't want to defame the other guy because they're making a living off of it. So it's a little bit sensitive when it comes to that. That's another challenge. And the final challenge is when you work on site, that there's bound to be some sort of a conflict because I'm not an electrician. I'm not legally allowed to go on site and wire things up. So the work, and I, I'm just one person, like, so the work has to be done by a licensed electrical contractor and they want to skim off the, the material. They want to provide substandard stuff. So then it's like, how do you get the project done in time while keeping the contractor happy, uh, living up to your spec and also getting it done in the client's time frame. Mm. Have you managed to build relationships that mean that you don't have to necessarily deal with that every time? I'm just still working on it, to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm trying it out right now. I don't want to go big and because because often someone says, will you do a building for me? And I'd say, I could very easily design the electrical installation sitting on electrical OM, but there's no way I can actually ensure that it's actually erected as designed, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So we're still, I'm still in that stage because I do not want a client to spend a lot of money on material and consultancy fees and labor when and then at the end of it they get something that's not safe at all yeah no i kind of understand that i suppose the thing we have in the uk um is the qualified supervisor role um who kind of oversees the installation to ensure those standards you know during erection and then um, potentially they're also the you know the, the competent person testing it as well um at the end so there's that um, consistency there you mentioned uh, that you were um, a technician member of the IET. What uh, prompted you to join the IET? Um, so the so what happened was that I looked at the fact that the IET in combination with BSI, they write the regs, right? So I said it doesn't hurt for me to sort of be part of that in any way, in any capacity, that organization. And then you also get to meet people in your local network that are IET members. So, and then they face similar challenges. So there's sort of that you can learn from their, from their experiences and stuff like that. And the cost of IET membership in India is very nominal. I think I paid the equivalent of 20 pounds for a year. That's fantastic. I might have to be to India and get a membership. <laughs> Yes, I mean, and it's, it's about, I think it's about 50, the equivalent of 50 pounds. And then because you're a technician member, they give you a further discount on it. 
Okay. It's quite nominal, so honestly. No, I can, I can understand it. Obviously, there's, there's different economics in, in both of our countries as to, you know, what the rate of charging should be. I mean, you mentioned local networks there. Is there, is there quite good local network in your area um, of, of electricians and engineers? So that, that's where it kind of gets funny, right? Because the IIT is the Institute of Engineering and Technology, which used to be the IAE, right? So now, now with the IIT, you've got all this like artificial intelligence and all this other stuff. So the local network in Mumbai mainly is involved in that sort of thing. But there are a couple interesting people. I met a couple of chartered building service engineers at an IIT event. We were talking about like common challenges we faced. And because one thing here is people don't like paperwork. So if you ask the contractor to sign a document that says that work that their work would have to be to a certain standard, otherwise they wouldn't get paid or it wouldn't you know, because it wouldn't pass an EIC. They don't quite like that. So one thing I learned was at one, at one of these IET network meets was that you have to find a contractor that's comfortable with paperwork who can actually read and understand what the thing says. And you only work with them because otherwise, invariably, there's going to be a fallout. There's going to be discrepancy between what you expected and what they did. And there's going to be a lot of problems. And you think that's common sense, right? Because in the UK, you would have paperwork for all of this. But in India, people are so averse to paperwork. I'm not saying in the entire country, it's just this industry because it's a, it's not a very developed industry. So it's just those kind of insights are quite helpful. But no, there's no local network of electricians or people in the electrotechnical field. Yeah, no, I, I suppose it's great that obviously, you know, like we're speaking today, there is a, a world network out there now and we've all got um, the Internet to, to connect us all and social media. And and I suppose, you know, it doesn't have to be immediately on your doorstep. Whilst that's nice, you know, you can go out and meet people in the world. And like you say, you're even traveling to the UK. So, you know, it's brilliant. Just following up to that, um, while there is... A, uh, LinkedIn has actually been really helpful for me. What happened was I've connected with a couple of people in India, mainly distributors and manufacturers. And then I've been like, I've got, I've registered for events in India and I've attended them. I've kind of understood the kind of equipment I can get here. So a good example is I said, switch disconnect. So switch disconnectors have a 16 week lead time because the major company that sells them here is Eaton. Well, it turns out you have a man, you have a, uh, a company in the UK called Europa or something like that that yeah. makes switch disconnectors. They're actually made in India. So um, I found the parent company that does that, and they're 60947, I think, dash three certified. That's right. So, yeah. so it works for me, and the lead time is like one week. That's brilliant. No, that, I mean, that's a, that's a great way of um, connecting, isn't it? And yeah, you've mitigated 15 weeks of programs there. Yeah, pretty much. And then there's all, then I've also connected with people in the government that are really passionate about electrical safety. And so that's helpful because what sometimes happens is, so you know how you have, uh, I think the BS 88 twos in the, or BS 88 threes at the cutouts, right? In the UK. Yep. So here we have a three or three, six derivative. So it's rewirable and the braking capacity is only four kiloamps, right? And as you can imagine, with the three-phase supply, that's pretty much you're going to exceed that. I mean, I've seen up to 16 kiloamperes on a domestic in India. So that doesn't work. So then when you go to the 
the DNO and you say that I want to change my service head, they'll ask you a million questions. And but then now, because I know people who are in the government who know the actual regulations, I can actually show them that a reviable fuse isn't suitable for this. You have to put a, an HRC fuse. Hmm. So that sort of synergy is quite interesting. But yeah, no, it's it's quite interesting that you obviously mentioned about you know DNOs and and that sort of thing. Is it quite obviously you're mentioning about the standards of the fuses and the cutouts and things like that? Is the standard still quite low generally, even even nationally? Is that because of the sheer quantity of systems they're having to manage and oversee? Well, the standards exist and they're 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 pretty much the three the IEC derives. The standards are great. The issue is with implementation. When the guy, when the guy or girl, whoever goes on site and instead of reading the standards and doing what they're supposed to do, they'll apply a rule of thumb and just put something, which is what's happened with the, the reviable fuses. Right? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's what I meant. It's standard of work, the quality of the work rather than, um, yeah, the, the standards themselves. Yeah, so so that it's the quality of work that, is an issue. It's getting better because the in Mumbai at least uh, there are three I think three major DNOs. One is government run, but they're actually the they're actually really good because they they're pretty savvy with the regs. Two of them are privately run, so they're you know they're kind of upping their standards. Have you, heard, you I'm sure you're aware of the brand the brand Klauke. They're a major manufacturer of crimping tools um, for like uh, you want to go up to 300 square mil and stuff like that. So so they actually sell to the DNOs here in Mumbai as well. And standards of workmanship are much better here because we actually get something around 230, 400. <laughs> <laughs> but if you go really rural, it's very difficult for the DNOs to maintain the the network properly. And then there's electricity theft and all that. So you can get like 190 volts on a single phase. Mm. The open pen thing is much bigger here. I mean, it's a big problem, but no, no one talks about it. So, I mean, in terms of um, like the developments we're seeing in BS7671, so, you know, like the electric vehicles, um, is that something that's being pushed over in India? There are a significant number of EVs in my city in Mumbai and Again, the regulation exists. It's really good. Uh, I think it's slightly behind the, uh, the BS standard because it requires it only a Type A for EV chargers. But I'm, but again, they require you to refer to other regs, and the other regs would specify uh, a Type B. But the issue is more that when you buy an EV, you're reliant not it it doesn't come naturally to ask an electrician to do to install a, an EVS EVSC for you. The manufacturer of the EV would do it. And in my experience, I've seen some stuff which is really poor. Like they've gone ahead and put a Type A RCD, I think 100 milliamps at times, and it's it's really quite poor in that sense. Yes, we have money and pe- people here have money. They buy EVs, Porsche, Audi, everything's out here. But it's not really a space that I've delved into much. We have the standards, like I said, it, it's the same issue, but people have to implement it. Mm. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I suppose it's this whole 
you know, everyone going, you know, zero carbon emissions. And I, I appreciate there's probably some nuances to the EV, uh, you know, discussions, you know, with the uh, the world resources of cobalt and stuff like that. But I suppose the, you know, the thing in that's becoming a part of the British element is is the prosumer, you know, the the elements of in combining solar battery storage, um, you know, wind generation and I just kind of wondered if that that was creeping into the domestic setting in in India no solar is pretty big it absolutely is and because um, when you when you go outside the cities a lot of people own really big holiday homes and most of them are they have a solar they're grid tied system there and because it's a rural area what happens is power is in constant so they also have a diesel generator to back it up so in that sense yeah, there's there's quite a lot of solar and it's pretty easy to get solar in in at least in Mumbai. I know I if I go on the DNO's website, I can apply for it like pretty quickly and they'd come out and install it. And, oh really? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So there would there would be no no cost to the um, homeowner? Or the no. Company? So basically, that there would be a list of contractors that the DNO recommends. You have to call them in. You have to spend a lot of money. But I guess you see the reduction in cost over time. I haven't done the math, to be honest. I'm not. Uh, that's an area I'm not very um, familiar with, which is why I'm actually going to the uh, for the battery storage and solar course. So before I advise my clients about it, I want to be 100% clear about what I'm advising on, right? No, that's good. No, and that's that's the idea of competence, isn't it? No, what you don't know. Yeah. So like, I'm very open, like. I go, I've gone to a client's place for a, what I call an audit and he had a grid tied PV system. And I said, look, this is not my area of competence as much as I would like to help you with it. It's just something I can't do because I don't, frankly speaking, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm applying stuff from what from a normal electrical installation and putting it here. It's not meant for that. I don't want to. It's just not my thing. Yeah, I've had one a guy once came to me to sign off on some document, an electrical design, and he was offering me like 5,000 Indian rupees, which is about 50 pounds. It's a lot of money here for just to sign on it and do some minor work. And I said, no, I'm not going to do it. No, yeah. I mean, well, that's that's the key thing, isn't it? It's ethics. And, um, you know, it's what you do when nobody's looking. That's the key thing. So, yeah, no, um, I mean, it's been... Absolutely fascinating chatting with you. Um, I do have uh, one last question for you, though. And that's what's your favorite movie? My favorite movie? Yeah. That's a tough one because I watched The Lighthouse a couple of weeks ago, a couple of days ago. That was pretty interesting. Is that the Robert Pattinson one? The black and white Robert Pattinson, uh, Pattinson and uh, Willem Dafoe. Hmm. I guess my favorite movie would be... <laughs> It's quite funny because you asked me about all this electric stuff and I went rambling on. <laughs> you asked me about my favorite movie and I don't know. Um, Goodfellas is pretty nice. Yeah, uh, no, Goodfellas is a good film. Yeah, no, obviously uh, Ray Liotta only just passed away as well. Yeah, so. Quite unfortunate. Yeah, no, we're, all right, we'll go. We'll go with Goodfellas. That's a that's a good, good choice. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, yeah, it's been fascinating chatting with you. So, thank you very much again. Oh, it's a pleasure, Gary, and honestly, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening.